2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, the Last Nighters, and we're going to be doing a Father's Day special about a fatherly movie, The Incredibles. And the other uh, brilliant thing about this is Incredibles 2 is out in theaters right now and breaking all sorts of records. So super good times. Uh, again, this is The Last Nighters, episode 24, so you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 24. Uh, let's say hello to Robert, then we will get into the Google description and start digging into this movie. Yeah, hello, everybody. Uh, Daniel, before we get started, I was, had a question for you. Uh, I heard a couple, or at least I saw a couple articles mentioning that this movie is doing really well out of nostalgia and what it's been like 15 years since the original. Is that is that long enough? I think, I guess so. Yeah, that's kind of a, a strange question, right? Like, because nostalgia for me is older than that. But yeah, if you think back, you know, if you were a kid when the first one came out and now you're, you know, a millennial mid-20s living in your mom's basement getting kicked out, going to a court case to get evicted, and then you're still fighting it, and then you go on CNN or something and say you're a libertarian uh, because you like weed and Gary Johnson, then, you know, it sort of makes sense. You could be nostalgic based on that. Only under those set of circumstances, but yeah. Simultaneously, I might add. Right. No, not any one of those. <laughs> no, no. It has to be the total package or else you fail. But yeah, so it is kind of interesting. And, and another uh, element of that, and I, I haven't seen Incredibles 2 yet, but um, we might. It's it's my wife and my anniversary, and we got the two kids, and we're going to do a date night, and we're going to go to a movie, and they watched this one with me um, in preparation for the show, which is um, lastnighters.com slash 24. And so we're going to watch uh, Incredibles 2 in a, in a couple of days from now for anniversary celebrations. Well, I'm curious to know if you're excited. I mean, you, you must have enjoyed the first one then, if you, uh, you're tagging and bringing along the entire brood with you to go see the second one. Or is this just a date night movie with just just the adults? So we're the type of parents who don't trust anyone with our kids. So if we want a date night, it's date night Nazis. with with the kids. So that's that's how it's going to be, and it's going to be you know matinee style. And then we're going to do <laughs> dinner after, come home, and it's going to be bedtime. All right. Anyway, just sharing some personal information that uh, we don't normally share on the last nighters, but you know you guys can get to know us a little bit. Sure, why not? Right? Yeah, yeah, we're humans too. Beat Borp. Well, you did claim last time that I had a, uh, my voice was similar to a virtual assistant and you called The me... new connection, the way we're recording the show now, the sound of your voice is so clear compared to the garbly pile of garbage that it used to be that, yeah, you sound like some sort of a digital assistant Siri type version of that. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh yes. The Incredibles. Came out in uh, 2004, action adventure, one hour, 56 minutes, eight out of 10 on the IMDb, 97% Rotten Tomatoes, 90% Metacritic, 94% Google users. And here is the description. In this lauded Pixar animated film, married superheroes, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl are forced to assume mundane lives as Bob and Helen Parr after all superpowered activities have been banned by the government. While Mr. Incredible loves his wife and kids, he longs to return to a life of adventure. And he gets a chance when summoned to an island to battle an out-of-control robot. Soon, Mr. Incredible is in trouble, and it's up to his family to save him. Came out November 5th, 2004. Director Brad Bird. This is the film he did after The Iron Giant, which was also a, a, a very good film, but it was a box office disappointment. This one was not. Your thoughts, Robert? Well, for those anybody who doesn't know, I'm sure people do know this, but this is essentially Brad Bird's love letter to superheroes, especially specifically like the Fantastic Four. Um, this is easily the best Fantastic Four movie ever made, even though it doesn't star any of the members. But you've got Mr. Incredible, who you could say is the thing. You've got Elastigirl, who is Mr. Fantastic. you got Violet, who is the Invisible Girl. And the only real swap is the Human Torch for Dash, as opposed to a guy that can fly around shooting flames. you got a guy, little kid that can run fast. But... This is the kind of movie that comic book fans always wanted out of, say, like the X-Men films. Or then we got later on with the Avengers, 
But I would say that this movie is even tighter in terms of a team where the where the the different heroes are like working together cohesively to like, you know, Elastigirl will stretch her body to do a thing like setting up Mr. Incredible to come along and punch the guy or, you know, that sort of thing. Like their, their powers will kind of conform and combine and they'll work together as a cohesive team to accomplish a goal instead of just like, you know, the Hulk punches this guy and then Captain American punches this guy. It's a little bit different and it's, it's, it's more of a, I don't know, it's just a more of a, the kind of the thing that you used to see in the comic books where the people would set each other up and work together and it really came together in this film. And uh, I don't know if it's even been surpassed since in terms of a comic book movie with that sort of a dynamic. I mean, it also works really well on the other level of parents and children. I think pretty much as a parent, you're going to get a lot out of this movie. As a child, you're going to get a ton out of it. Uh, this movie is just working on so many different levels on all cylinders that uh, it's not surprising that it did so well at the box office. Oh, my goodness. We caught you monologuing. I can't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> So I, I got to say, I love the casting in this. Uh, Craig T. Nelson's great. Holly Hunter's great. Jason Lee, love that guy. I loved him ever since Mallrats. Um, that was one of my nostalgic films from my um, you know late adolescence, uh, young adulthood. Uh, 1995 Mallrats, Kevin Smith film. But yeah, a lot how of... About, how about Sam Jackson as Frozone? Uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not as strong, though, in this one. He's just, he's more of a... He's there, but he's not like... A big focus point. You know what I mean? Sure. No, I, I think it, for my money, Holly Hunter as Elastigirl is the standout. I thought she put such a level of emotional timber to her voice and really allowed me to connect with that character. Not that everybody didn't do a great job. And I would say that the story is more about Bob Parr, but I think uh, Elastigirl really shines. Yeah. And you mentioned the family stuff. And as I have a young family, I see that kind of stuff happening like all the time. Like when, when all these little things were shown in the film, and I think Brad Bird, he said when he wrote the film that he was just taking things that happen in families and then putting it into a story. I mean, my kids fight like that. I mean, not like force fields and running real fast. And my wife doesn't. Although they would if they could. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's all the little things that, I mean, it's like the, um, I don't want to say adult humor because <clears throat> it's not like dirty or anything, but it's like, it's a kid's movie that has adult appreciation in it, you know? Like, the adults will see these things and get, a, like, a, a nod, and a subtle nod, wink and a nod, and be like, oh, yep, yep, totally happens, yep, I get that. <laughs> yep, and, the struggles and the trials of being a parent, absolutely. Yeah, so a, a well-done movie, just even from that perspective, and I think you're right, it is um, a, a, a good superhero hero movie, um, and, it had, and it has a couple of, like, really interesting questions and i think several of them have been played off in other franchises but my first question to you robert mm. is yeah. cape, capes good or bad you got superman <laughs> batman thor etc all wearing capes and well the movie... only one yeah i mean in the, in the movie edna she shows some examples of people dying from their capes i would have to say that superman would never i mean if he flew through a jet engine it would be the jet engine that was destroyed not him or the rocket i mean he would have no problem getting sucked into a tornado or a twister or anything like that i mean none of those things would bother him but and then there's you know batman who is like way too smart to get caught with all that stuff so but yeah there are probably some i mean i appreciated the nod to the fact that there's no capes um but i i gotta say as a uh, as an illustrator type guy you you gotta have some fun with the way things look like, I mean, if you look at the way capes have evolved from the 20s when the comic book really started taking off in the 20s and the 30s, mostly in the 30s, but um, the capes were very basic and there's just, you know, a rectangle behind the guy for the most part. But then when you get into the 80s and the 90s, especially in the 90s with Todd McFarlane and Spawn, where capes reached peak cape, where there's so many different shapes and stylistically cool things whipping around and doing other things. Um, and then it's, you know, come back. But yeah, it's fun because there's never been any kind of, as far as I know, in the comic books, it's never been explained or it never been explored, um, like the bad things that could happen through capes. And that's why the joke really, really works in this movie. Yeah, I agree. And my, my question is, if I were interviewing Brad Bird and questioning him about why, why so down on the capes? And I'd do the Kathy Newman. I'd be like, so what you're saying is <laughs> that you hate strong, intelligent white men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Oh, but I digress. But um, the the next thing I wanted to bring up was the very opening scenes where you have young Incredible and young Elastigirl being interviewed. And there were a couple of points I wanted to make here. One is Incredible is like, you know, I enjoy saving the world, but why can't it just stay saved? I feel like a maid, you know, going up and cleaning up messes all the time. And I thought that the point that we could be making here is that it's just a... a, a factor of human desire and, and change is ever present. You know, change is constant and human desire is never satisfied. So certain services and certain goods and certain things are always going to be in demand uh, no matter what. And so that's just kind of like a little t- minor economic point I want to throw in there. And then um, Elastigirl was saying, save leaving the, or leave saving the world to men? Like, ha, you know, so I thought that was like a, a bit of a feminist bullshit uh, bullet point. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, the the saving the world to men, it could have been, I think you couldn't take it, especially in today's kind of PC culture as a more of a feminist bullet point type thing. Um, luckily, she doesn't turn and fall into some sort of a feminist type stereotype. Um, she turns more into a domestic mom that has kids to take care of and she's got her priorities straight. And, you know, maybe Bob doesn't. And that's really, you know, comes at the heart of the plot of the story. Um, in terms of the saving the world and then letting it, you know, keeping it stay saved, that's always bugged me about the Batman character because Batman, his goal is to like clean up Gotham and he's a really smart guy. And the smartest thing he can come up with is catch the bad guys and lock them up as if new criminals aren't made every day. As long as there are these BS laws that destroy economic opportunity and criminalize things that shouldn't be criminalized. You would think that Batman at some point would put two and two together and realize that he has an endless job ahead of him. If that's his, if that's his solution (laughs) is to continually lock up. I mean, it's not like there haven't been cops for hundreds and hundreds of years and there are still cops. You're not getting at the root cause of the problem. Right. In Batman. And like you said, it's, well, hang on. And like you said, there are also economic factors and human desires that are constantly changing. And so even if you're in some kind of libertarian free society, there will still be crime. But go ahead. What were you going to say? In, in Batman's defense. In Batman's defense, I think that the people that he's wanting to put behind bars are one of two, like violent, mugging, killing people who killed his parents, or these uh, Joker, Penguin, Riddler types who have nefarious plots that are, um, you know, way too intricate and they get caught monologuing and he gets out of whatever contraption they put him in, like James Bond style, and uh, he's able to escape. So I think that those types of criminals, violent criminals, nefarious masterminds who want to poison water supplies and things like that, uh, yeah, they need to be dealt with in in some fashion and whether it be uh, like, the present day where it's like imprisonment or some other like Ancapistani uh, type solution, I think that that would be appropriate. I don't see Batman really going after your, you know, drug dealers, drug users, people who have committed some felony, like everyone commits, what, three or five felonies a day, I think now, uh, because there's so many laws on the books. So he's not going after those types of po- of, of people. So just, I wanted to throw Allow that me. in defense. <clears throat> Allow me to rebut, sir. Allow me to retort. <laughs> Throw the same. Yeah, famously, at you. Batman does not. Famously, like in the movies, there's no Batman movie where he's taken down a drug dealer. But you are not a comic book reader, and there are countless comic book issues where he's dealing with street level crime, where he's dealing with muggers, where he's dealing with drug dealers, where he's dealing with arms dealers or gun sellers or any number of sort of thing like that. And still, even if you need to imprison, you know, your best solution, let's say the, the market's best solution to dealing with the Joker is to put him behind bars. Fine. But you're still not dealing. A very smart, highly wealthy individual, influential man, still, you're not dealing with the next Joker. You're not, you're not working to create a world where the next Joker won't be a thing. Well, because he's obviously that, a capitalist exploiter, bourgeois asshole who doesn't know any better and will only continue to exploit and underpay his workers <laughs> the iron law of wages to their subsistence level to and and then even below that to where they can't survive okay carl <laughs> you're out of your element all right so speaking of cops the opening chase scene the cops are chasing uh some criminals and the criminals are shooting at them and the cops are just shooting in public like blindly 
Did that seem inappropriate to you? It seemed a little inappropriate to me. Well, it seemed realistic. What do you mean inappropriate? Well, you know, you'd think that you'd have to make sure that you're not going to shoot some innocent party. <laughs> do you live in this world? I don't know. What, 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 what fantasy land are you living in where the cops consider who they might shoot? Not to disparage all cops as being just like mindless sprayers and prayers, but I mean, there was recently a story where some FBI agent was dancing and picked up his gun and shot a guy. Didn't mean to, but you're not you're not dealing with people who observe all the safety rules of firearms. I mean, rule number one is don't point anything at something you don't intend to destroy. They point guns at people all the time. They point guns at unarmed people all the time. Yeah, and. Speaking of that incident, um, I, I saw the video and the guy picking it up, he was clearly drunk, but I would think that in the you know proper training that he should have received, you never touch the trigger until you have acquired the target that you are willing to destroy. So that was just a totally fuck up move. And then he just shrugs his shoulders like, oh, my bad, sorry, and sort of like dances off. Are you asking me to defend him? Because I'm not going to. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get into um, after this cop chase and uh, Mister Incredible saves the day, saves the cat, etc. And he's like on the on the way to his wedding, though we don't know it at the time. But he he gets into a uh, a fight with another guy, and then Elastigirl comes and punches him in the face, the uh, criminal. And they get into a little tit for tat. Like I thought, it was, what happened to ladies first? And he's like, what happened to equal treatment? And I thought that was a great dichotomy because it. In today's world, you know, 15 years later, it's like those two opposing things, they want both at the same time, but they're separate. They're different. Do you follow what I'm saying? I do. There's been a different, definitely, a, I think a, there are a couple of been um, articles written about how chivalry is really bad and evil and dumb and whatever. And it's like, what do you want? <laughs> and, you know, at that point, it's it's gotten to the point where it's so ridiculous that it seems to me that there's always going to be a certain part of the population that will never be happy, uh, no matter what anything anyone ever does. So there's really no sense in spending a whole lot of energy trying to please them or apologize to them. And so you kind of just have to wave your hand away at them and just as a pack of crazies. I don't know. So it's definitely yeah. a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Like there is no win. Oh, certainly not. Yeah, it's like the the SJWs who complain that, you know, all the, the black people in Black Panther weren't trans or fat or you know non-binary or whatever or disabled or you know it's just it's never good enough no matter what i mean if there's a, a lesbian character on the show it's well yeah but she was white and skinny it's like you know <laughs> you, you you can't you can't please anybody it's always the oppression olympics with them so why even try you're just you're you're, and then and then you look foolish doing it if you're just trying to appease them and then it's you can be accused of tokenism. So why even bother? You're you're trying to appease a tiny little vocal minority of people who are insane. So let them be insane. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, here here. Got you monologuing again. Um, Aha. <clears throat> Aha. All right, so here's a juicy question. Mm. So right after all of this, the Events transpire to where Incredible saves a man from committing suicide. And then in, in the resulting action afterward, um, you know, the Incredible Boy gets introduced and he's all into Mr. Incredible. He wants to be just like him. And he's like a inventor of sorts. So he's an entrepreneur and he ends up becoming an arms dealer. And he thinks that respect comes from being a threat. And he uh, we'll get into him in a little bit. Uh, but that's the Jason Lee character. But the suicide guy I wanted to bring up because this is an interesting question. This is a guy who jumped off a building and wanted to die. Is it a violation of his choice or his person or a property crime against him by saving his life and injuring him in the process? Because he ended up getting sued, and they said costing the government millions. So $50 follow-up, why and how is the government liable for the actions of Mr. Incredible? So chew on that. Yeah. So it's not quite, I mean, it's throughout the movie several times, it seems as if the government, as if the superheroes are kind of endorsed or sanctioned or worked for the government. I mean, at one time, Elastigirl like borrows a government jet. And then there's this kind of shady black ops kind of smoking man character who like moves the, the Parr family around and kind of like, you know, puts them in like witness protection sort of style. 
houses and families and like identities and whatnot. So yeah, I'm not really sure exactly what the relationship is between the the superheroes and the government, but it definitely seems fairly buddy buddy. Like I can't imagine that being a superhero pays really well. Um, and yet Mr. Incredible drives around in this super fantastic futuristic car that can transform. And so, you know, there's definitely a bankroll there, but why why the government? I mean, I guess that you would sue if there was a relationship between the government and their, the superheroes or some sort of government actors. I assume you would sue the government for any damages they cause. But and this gets into, you know, superheroing in general versus the villains. Like if you damage a piece of property in the act of trying to prevent further damage caused by somebody else, I'm not sure why you're suing the guy preventing the damage. Like Mr. Incredible is trying to prevent further damage. He's trying to stop all this. He's clearly reacting to an aggressor. So why you wouldn't sue Bomb Voyage would is, is, is kind of ridiculous. I mean, other than the fact that he probably doesn't have any money, but he's clearly not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say if I was on the jury, I wouldn't find him culpable. He's clearly trying to stop it. And then in terms of the suicide, that gets into a sticky kind of wicket here. Um, there's a, uh, you know, it's all libertarianism and rights and whatnot. It really all boils down to what's reasonable. And if you're, you know, if you are drowning and the only way you can not drown is to grab somebody else's like beach ball and like whatever, you know, this is a dumb example, but you know, you're, and, but you're taking somebody else's beach ball. Well, you can kind of basically assume that were they around and were you able to ask them, Hey, do you mind if I grab your beach ball and to save my life? They would say, yeah, of course, I would definitely want you to grab and use my beach ball to save your life. Even if you destroy the beach ball, it's fine, whatever, who cares? Even if the beach ball is like a $10,000 beach ball, you'd still want someone to use it to save a life. In the same sense, you know, if somebody is in danger and, you know, you work to save them, like he does in the the train incident, like he prevents, like he, the the bomb blows up the, the train line and then he stops the train. Well, all the people on the train still ended up suing him, which is just like ridiculous. I didn't, I didn't find any of this to be particularly realistic. Not that... It wouldn't surprise me if it happened in this world either. No, especially if they <laughs> so had just... hot hot coffee or something. Right. Yeah. People. Yeah. People sue people around here for their voluntary choices and all kinds of things all the time. It's completely ridiculous. I mean, crooks who break into people's houses and fall through skylights and land on kitchen knives sue the homeowner and they win. It's it's insane. It's a pure insanity. So. Who am I to judge if this is realistic or not? But I think that there is a certain reasonableness to, yeah, if somebody's falling from a building, that if you catch them and save them, they would say, thank you. Now, on the one-off chance that the guy's like, hey, I wanted to die, then you can go, well, why didn't you just kill yourself right after that? <laughs> why haven't you killed yourself yet? Yeah, it's wh been some why, time why since sue? I saved you. <laughs> why sue as a result when your goal was dying, then just go ahead and do that. Yeah, just, just go ahead and do that. Problem solved. Why are you suing me for a whole bunch of money that you're not even going to use because you're going to be dead? Makes enough sense. Yeah, so anyway, that was the case that opened the door to superheroes being sued and the government paying out money because there was apparently this quasi-militaristic symbiotic relationship that seemed to be rooted in patriotism and praise that... Um, was eventually actually used against Mr. Incredible to lure him to the island, right? Because Mirage sends him this message and she claims it's a government experiment gone wrong and this robot's destroying their equipment and putting things at risk, which was pretty much the same story that was happening with um, Deadpool, right? He was told that he was going to a super secret government lab to be turned into to eradicate his cancer or something like that. We did the Deadpool episode not too long ago. I, I, I think that's what happened. But Yeah, that's what happened in that movie. Yeah. Go on. And then um, as a result of all these uh, lawsuits, the government says, okay, politicians finally do something, and they're like, all right, we're going to ban superheroes. You can't have a secret identity. You can't be a superhero. You can't go around saving people. You have to be just a normal person, which is totally bullshit, right? Like preventing you from being who you are. Um. So, you know, the laws kind of get imposed on them, and it seems like a really shitty situation. There's this, like, government program to relocate people, and they're granted amnesty for all past actions in exchange for no future superhero action. And that's sort of what kicks off this whole story. But um, isn't that a very similar story to what happened in X-Men? Like, there was a senator or something who's like, mutants are dangerous, and they need to be outed and prevented from 
you know, procreating or being mutiny. You can speak. Yeah, to this yeah. Later, I think right? a super X Men three had a uh, they were going to turn the world's mutants into regular people. Right. And then there, then there's um, there's also the Superhero Registration Act, which is in the comic books, and also kind of in the Civil War movie. And wasn't there a thing in the Watchmen? Wasn't that kind of like a thing? Like Watchmen yeah, were absolutely superheroes for a while and, and everyone was like praising them and how amazing everything was and then they got shut down yeah pretty much almost identical to this movie although i don't know if it was because that they were getting sued but yeah i mean but why wouldn't you sue the bad guys sue the people that actually do the thing that does the thing i, I mean clearly i guess they're harder to get a hold of but i it just seems like you would you would you would sue the people that actually aggressed against you as opposed to the people that tried to prevent your property from being damaged i uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then, and then by suing the government, you're basically just suing everybody because the government just has stolen money. So I don't know, man. Yeah, and if, if everyone sues everyone, then no one sues anyone, right? It's sort of like if everyone's special, then nobody's special, which is uh, foreshadowed by Dash and then the main crux of Syndrome's argument. And Syndrome's mm-hmm. an interesting character um, because he's an inventor and he exploits certain situations. Um and he wants to sell these uh, superhero pieces of equipment after he's done having his fun, right? But he wants to become famous, so, you know, marketing style. He wants to become, like, this superhero that gets everyone excited. But then he, he basically wants to make everyone be super so that no one is super. And that's like an egalitarian idea to where you bring everyone to the same level. Now, when Marx and, and uh, anarcho-communist types bring this up, um, they mean everyone, well, they intend for people to be on a higher level, like a standard of living that's like comfortable and, and they can do the papillon thing where they can write music in the morning and read poetry in the afternoon and toil the fields for a few hours uh, before evening, you know, things like that. But it ends up being like slave labor, death camps and AK-47s. But that's, uh, you know, the ideal. And I think that Syndrome is an interesting character because of this, because he's an inventor he's an entrepreneur on one aspect but then on the other aspect he's doing some pretty shady evil shit and um i think that that is a i'm torn on him you know and and especially because i like jason lee as a character you know but what are your thoughts on syndrome well for for me i didn't understand why syndrome's plot his his whole plan was even necessary or could ever possibly work because the movie doesn't do a very good job explaining why all of a sudden human superhumans aren't necessary. It's like the superheroes go away, and so do all the villains in the crime they fight. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. So the government bans superheroes, and super crime the whole time has been against the law. So where'd they go? Yeah, what are they doing? Where'd they go? Because Syndrome's plan is to create a giant robot that, you know, shows that the world needs superheroes again and to show that, you know, he's going to come in and save the day. Well, he, in the process of murdering a bunch of superheroes, be... per- perfecting his robot. Right, right. But you would think that without all the superheroes around to stop the supervillains, the supervillains would really just be running amok. And then he could just go out there and save the day. He wouldn't need to create this robot at all. But the movie doesn't explain why there are no villains anymore. And there's just Syndrome for some reason. Who, by the way, it, has amazing technology. Like, he can defeat all of the Incredibles with his, like... Oh, with ease. ...finger pointer laser thing? <laughs> yeah, the finger pointer laser thing is beyond OP. It, <laughs> it, it, there's no counter to it. All he has, the only reason that the Incredibles survive is because he doesn't just straight up want to kill them, apparently. Because it looks like that, that, that re, whatever, he, zero point energy or whatever he called it. Yeah, I mean, he's a Bond villain. You know, he's got a monologue. Oh, yeah. He's got to not kill them. He's got to put them in po- impossible situations. They've got to get out. And by the way, they even have in the in the movie the soundtrack, the score is very Bond-like with like brass instruments and spy music. It's it's well done. So it had a good vibe. This movie. Not to mention his volcano lair. <laughs> Complete with like lava that flows down as a closing and opening door. All kinds of goons that are faceless so that when they die, we don't feel bad about it. Except for one guy, when Dash punches his face off, you can actually see his eyeballs for a second before he dies. Oh, speaking That's of That's one thing that kind of annoys me with movies is that they always, always dehumanize the like foot soldiery bad guys. They're always wearing some kind of a mask so that when they die, we don't feel bad. Yeah, and speaking of dying, I mean, there is a lot of like death in this, which is a bit surprising for a, a children's movie, you know, Pixar animated. I mean, I'm sure it's like more of a 
older children's type movie, you know, 10 years old, maybe 12 year old. But I mean, my kids watched it and my three year old was like, well, she's almost three. I uh, was like, oh, it's scary. It's scary. I don't want to watch this every day. And my wife was like, we're not going to watch it every day. We're just going to watch it this time. <laughs> and, hmm. and maybe we'll go watch the second one on our date night. But anyway, um, it did seem like there was a lot of dark shit going on for a kid's movie. Like there were people getting chopped up in airplane engines, blowing up, crashing into the sides of buildings and, and cliffs. Uh, lots of shit happening. Yeah. I mean, there's no blood, but yeah, there's plenty of death. Usually in these kind of movies, yeah, like the, the, the bad guys will like parachute out as their vehicle explodes or something like that. You know, I'm thinking of like G.I. Joe, not the movie, but the TV show. Cobra! But in this movie, yeah, Mr. Incredible just flat up flattens goons. Uh, he he throws like a like a tram car on two guys. He uh, what else happens? I don't know. Well, Dash, you know, like punches a guy before he flies into a cliff and his vehicle explodes. I mean, you know, all the um, the actions I feel are fairly justified. I don't know. Was there any action that like Mr. Incredible or any of them took that you thought was like unnecessary or immoral? I got to go with a no there, Bob. Um, you know, the whole time uh, Incredible was. A prisoner and even with uh, mirage he threatened to crush her but he couldn't do it and he had every i think moral opportunity to do so like he was her prisoner and syndrome was like oh go ahead crush her you know and that was like her turning point saying mm-hmm. wait he was willing to let me get killed and syndrome just was like oh i'm just calling his bluff baby you know and uh anyway i yeah i don't think that there were any moral questions that the incredibles failed at I mean, other than cozying up to government, I think that was a bit of an issue, but I don't think they understood that. Yeah, no, definitely. They didn't quite grasp that whole thing. I'm sure they think the government is the good guys. What did you think about the um, the insurance company stuff? In the very beginning, Bob's an insurance agent, and his boss is really upset with Bob explaining all the ins and outs of the insurance game to his clients. Exploiting every and loophole, his... penetrating the bureaucracy. <laughs> and his boss is like, Man, we got to think about the bottom line, buddy. We got to stay in business. We're not going to stay in business if you keep paying out claims. And then Bob's like, yeah, but these are like justifiable claims. Like these these people had legitimate claims. Except that old lady. The old lady, he said in paragraph 17, it says right here, we don't cover this. And then she gave this fixed income sob story and he ended up helping her out. So I think that was actually dishonest on Bob's part, because if it's clearly stated in the policy, he was going against that and giving her the inside scoop. Correct, but that still doesn't make it okay for him to throw him through four walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was a little bit rough. Yeah, so you asked me the moral question earlier about had the Incredibles done anything bad? Yes, okay. Now that you've reminded me, yes, he has done a couple of bad <laughs> things. Uh, one was defrauding his company uh, with the old lady, and then number two is, of course, assaulting and, and nearly killing his boss, who, by the way, was a dick. So I totally he was understand a dick. It. And somehow he survived being put through four walls. I don't think any real human would survive that, but I think you'd be paced. Your organs would be liquidified, but okay. Yeah, now I want to jump on this a little bit because, yeah, the boss is a dick, and in the old lady instance, it wasn't legitimate, the claim. But the boss was, I don't want to hear about what, you know, whatever the insurance actually covers. I just want you to deny claims. And I think that this is only possible in a world where, like present day world, where the government provides monopoly protection to barriers to entry to competition. I think in a competitive insurance market, they couldn't get away with this. If they were denying claims, then people would hear about it and they would stop using that insurance company because other claims being paid by other insurance companies would draw customers over there. So I think this is clearly a position that is only empowered by government protection of this particular insurance company. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the kind of situation that in a free market, in a true free market, we don't have one in this country nor really exists in the world, where this is solved by like Yelp reviews online or something like that. Yeah, there'd be a reputation score like, oh, they don't pay claims. Well, okay, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I'm taking my business elsewhere. I'm taking my business to reputable people who pay out when there's a legitimate claim because that's the whole idea. You're in a, in a world where reputation is key, then, yeah, you're going to lose massive amounts of business, and you need to live and die by that reputation. And I think most people will think of the situation like that, that The Incredibles was presenting, you know, this is how insurance companies work. They're there to deny claims, and they're evil. And Right, but they're only getting the business if they have a good reputation. 
Right in 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 the real world, or I mean in right. in um, the free market, you know, it would it would be even right. more reputation. Yeah. So I think they get a bad rap, but it's only because they have this cozy relationship that prevents. Definitely, they got the the government that they can that they got they got the government that they can bribe to write favorable legislation that would prevent market competition that allows them this shoddy behavior. Right, and I, I love people who, who get upset about corporations taking over government by buying favors and, and influencing politics with money. And the quip I have back is, well, if corporations are buying favors from government, it's because government has favors to sell. Yep. I mean, how are you going to prevent money from getting into politics? It's already illegal. They do it anyway. Uh, but I digress. All right. So I had a, a thing about the teacher, but we can skip that because we're getting short on time. But I did want to ask you this. Um, when they were in hiding, because we're talking about the insurance thing and... and 15 years later, they've got a family. They're living in this Frank Lloyd Wright-type mid-century modern house, which, by the way, I love that house. It's an awesome house. Um, they tell Dash to hold back, you know, because he, he would dominate in sports. And it seemed to me like it's a sort of a self-imposed reverse affirmative action thing going on. And I just wanted to throw that out because Dash gets upset about this, and he foreshadows the syndrome thing where he says, if everyone is special, then that's another way of saying no one is which is very similar to uh, the tragedy of the commons and public property, where if everyone owns everything, then in reality, no one actually owns anything because no one has the exclusive control to determine what happens with any given thing. Yeah, it's, it's participation trophies. It's, it's a nice little dig. It's really, this is a story about exceptionalism over this like forced communism or whatever, like exceptionally you know, like individuals over forced mediocrity. Oh, yeah, that was another thing that Mr. Incredible said. He's like, he's graduating from the fourth to the fifth grade. It's not a big deal. Why does everything have to enforce, you know, mediocrity? Yeah, exactly what, what you were just saying. Yeah, that's that brings up a question I have for you, Daniel. Um, since this movie is really kind of Bob's story, I mean, I'd say that all the characters have kind of an arc and they all grow to a certain extent. But I would say really it's Bob who is kind of going through his midlife crisis, wants to relive the glory days, and isn't maybe paying as much attention to his family as he should. And it's Elastigirl who's kind of snapping him back to it. Do you Did you see him in the beginning of the movie trying to live relive his glory days and, you know, fighting crime and, you know, um, saving those people from the fire or, you know, going out and listening to the police scanner as neglecting his family? Because that's really her argument, is that if he's going out there and fighting crime in any way, you are endangering your family and putting them at risk, undue risk. So you're in a sense like a bad parent. Did you, what, how do you, what do you have to say to that? Well, that's an interesting question. I think that because he's pretty much indestructible, that the, you know, him getting, de- you know, like killed in the process and, and thus impacting his family in that way is less of an issue. And he's doing it at night after the kids are in bed or should be in bed. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with him going out and doing it I mean, it's sort of like subverting the government, telling him he can't do it. You know, it's in his well, what nature if, to do but that. I think she was afraid of him getting caught and exposed and them having to, like, pick up and move and relocate again. all that stuff, too. Yeah, I guess there's some risk there, but it's also, like, something that shouldn't be, quote-unquote, illegal. Sure. You know? So uh, there's, there's multiple levels. I mean, there's the level of, well, you're putting us at risk because the mafia is going to come after you if you get caught. Right. Right. It's like the father who deals drugs today. It shouldn't be illegal, but you are putting your family at risk. Yeah. Now, I think that situation is actually a little bit different because they're probably doing that to provide for their family. Whereas ja- or uh, Bob Parr is out there doing superhero shit, not to make his family better off. He's doing it to make himself feel better by helping other people. Yes. But is he, do you, my, my original question is, do you think he's a bad parent? No. No, I don't think he's a bad parent in this in this regard, though he does, like you say, have an arc where he thinks that he was a, not um, as involved with his family as he otherwise thinks he should have been, like when they were all chained up together in Syndrome's um, electro, you know, prison field. Mm-hmm. And he's like admitting like, oh, you know, I, I'm missing all the action that's at home, like here. Well, my response to that is, well, you're doing this when your kids are asleep. So, I mean, what are you really missing? Right, but he's also there. Are also, a, a, quite a few scenes where he's like, you know, not really paying attention. He's reading the newspaper for you know hot, juicy like bits, staying abreast in the world. Like mean, there's some crimes to fight, that sort of thing. He's not really paying attention to like the family, not really you know into 
what his kids are dealing with, that sort of thing. Oh, sure. I think that just comes with being in the, you know, routine and the mundane. Um, so, yeah, I can sort of see, like, that just being a natural thing, and then he gets snapped out of it due to the course of the events with fighting the robot and saving the world again and, and all of that. Yeah, I'd like to have seen, uh, <laughs> like, an epilogue to the movie where he's there's just having the humdrum daily life, but he's, like, just totally excited by it, and he loves going to his job pushing pencils and stuff. I. I thought that the the humdrum, boring stuff was actually, you know, fairly realistic. I could imagine being a superhero and living, having been a superhero with superpowers, and then you become an insurance agent. Talk about a shift. How could how could anyone reasonably expect him to be super engaged and excited by that? I, I think it, it would just pale. Not necessarily a family life, but just the whole job and the day-to-day, you know, once upon a time, you were dressing up in tights and fighting bad guys and saving people's lives. And next year, you're just sitting at a desk pushing pencils. I, I could imagine that's a bit of a bit of a disappointment, <laughs> disappointing turn. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see the the next movie because apparently it's um you know picks up right where this one left off with the underminer showing up and drilling up from out of the earth and being like, "I've been underneath you this whole time, and nothing is beneath me." And it's John Ratzenberger, who, of course, is, has a small bit in every Pixar movie. Yep. He's in uh, all Cars movies. He's in Monsters. He's in... Uh, the Toy Story. Well, yeah, like you said. Nemo. Toy Story, yeah. He's the... What was the piggy bank? Yeah, and I think at the end of Cars, they actually make fun of uh, the fact that he's in all of them because uh, the cars in the closing credits are like at a drive-in theater. Yep. And they're watching all these movies like... And they're like, well, I think it's just the same guy. <laughs> Uh, anyway. good stuff. Oh, and also about the underminer. Um, I have to mention this. If nobody knows, I'm sure many people know this, but I got to mention it anyway. Um, the underminer is a direct nod to the Fantastic Four issue number one uh, that came out in like the 60s with the very first appearance of the Mole Man. And he comes up out of the earth and he is you know, talking basically the same thing that the underminer says. He's got all these monsters. And then, of course, the Fantastic Four got to take him down. So that was just 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 a lot of fun little nods. Yeah, so what's interesting is when I was reading about this, um, Bird was claiming that he wasn't like a big superhero comic book fan. But it seems like he's picked up on a lot of these things and has deliberately made nods to them. So I find that kind of an intriguing question because in his interviews, he says uh, not not such a big thing. Um, well, I wasn't listening to what you just said because I was looking at my notes. Oh, that's all right. But I wanted, I wanted to mention one other nod is that... Um, one of the moments when the um, the family are fighting the big robot and uh, Frozone comes in to help out. And there's a point at which he creates a surfboard with his feet. And he looked very much like, you know, at that, at that moment, he looked like the Silver Surfer, who is a longtime um, Fantastic Four ally. So that was a fun other little nod. Yeah, and actually right before he um, goes out to help with fighting the robot, he's asking his wife where his super suit is. She's like... Mm-hmm. The public's in danger. It's the greater good. And she's like, I'm the greatest good you're ever going to get. <laughs> I am your wife. <laughs> uh, I thought that was funny because he was like, people are in danger. She's like, my my evening's in danger. My date night's in danger. <laughs> yeah, there's some good dialogue in the flick, man. I mean, Brad Bird, good script. I got to say, uh, this is probably, I think, my favorite thing he's done he also directed a mission impossible movie i don't know how much influence he had on the script in that one um ghost protocol but that was not my favorite mission impossible movie but uh generally speaking the guy's a good talent and i appreciate his dialogue and his effort in this movie for sure yeah that that brings up a uh a, a question of, of mine is should we do a mission impossible and if so which one i mean the first one seems to be like the one to do and we talk about doing a franchise but certain films are better that are sometimes later on yeah, I mean, there's John Woo did two, but that's got its own ridiculousness. I mean, Rogue, all the ridiculous Rogue Nation is supposed movies. to be pretty good, right? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But there is, yeah, a new new Mission Impossible coming out. Tom Cruise is getting to be, what, like 60? Uh, mid-50s. I, I, I heard there's a Top Gun 2 coming out, and, and we could do yeah. Top Gun at some point. But For sure. And I'm down to do all that crap. But speaking of doing crap, uh, the next movie I think we were going to do was Jurassic Park, if if I recall. Is that right? That's definitely on the timeline. I mean, we've got, we got the Fallen Kingdom coming out, I think, next week. So, yeah, we should definitely do that. All right, well, let's hit that up. So next episode will be Jurassic Park. Uh, any last things you want to say? We're about, uh, you know, we're almost at our limit here. 
Uh, do you want to throw anything else, uh, any other notes? And then we can wind this thing down, do the final summary and review. Um, no, I think I probably didn't get to all my notes, but that's fine. I never do. So that's no big deal. But I did want to mention just how much fun and inventive and, oh, oh, this is the one thing I wanted to mention. Um, there's a really strong emotional scene in this movie for me. And I'm curious if it's as emotional strong for you as well. I break down into tears every time I watch that airplane scene. When she says there are children on board and there are missiles flying at it and she's like, disengage, disengage. Oh man, my heart goes out. I absolutely just can't handle it. It's such a brilliantly done scene. Um, I I wish they hey, showed a little bit more reaction of Mr. Incredible. He seems like a little bit, I mean, he's upset, of course, to the whole scenario, but his reaction is just a little bit tame. And he kind of like explodes later about it when he like almost kills Mirage. Or what is her name? Is that Mirage? her name? Mirage? Yeah, Mirage. Yep. Anyway. The sultry anyway, but, uh, fox. Yeah. But um, Holly Hunter in the airplane scene was brilliant and it's just brilliantly made. And then shortly thereafter, when they're like floating in the water, I thought the dialogue between her and their children, like, we are going to get through this. We're going to do this. I believe in you. You can do it, you know? And then the whole like, but you said never to, I know what I said. <laughs> Listen to what I'm telling you right now. <laughs> we need to do this. We're going to live through this. Oh, this is great. And then the inventive use of their powers. I thought Elastigirl was fantastic when she grabs that manhole cover and uses her body as a slingshot. And then Dash when he's like running up the walls and around and on the water. Uh, just all kinds of fun little bits that you can tell there was a lot of thought put into the movie. So um, I guess this is all just part of my summary and review. This is such a strong movie. If you haven't seen it, I don't know why you haven't. Um, check this one out and then probably check out Incredibles 2. I've heard it's just as good or almost as good. So this is like a, a strong 9.0 from me. Um, superhero movies don't get a lot better than this. I, I really enjoyed the recent Infinity War. But if you're talking about a movie that hits on like almost everything it tries to do, it's got good emotional content, action, family drama, um, and then some interesting, like like Daniel was talking earlier with like the you know a decent villain who's not just some evil mustache twirling villain for the sake of being evil. He's got kind of a strong motivation. He was a spurned hero, a fan. He was a big fanboy who just wanted to be one of the cool kids, wanted to help out, and you know was told no thank you, and he, he took rejection really really poorly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's good, real good. So yeah, nine Daniel, what did you think of this fine film? Well, that's a strong 9.0 on the Richter scale from Roberto there. Uh, so you'd ask me, uh, you know, whether that emotional content, and we do the uh, number of tears jerked, and I think that there are quite a few, that airplane scene is certainly emotional. But the thing that really got me was after she saves them, they land in the water, she turns into a boat, and Dash is the motor for the boat, and then they get to the beach, they get to shore, and he's obviously exhausted. And she says, I'm so proud of you. That got me a little bit. Oh, yeah. So, you know, like big accomplishment, finally using his powers. Like he had been held back, right? That that reverse affirmative action thing going on because of what his parents were like. No, you can't like expose your powers. You can't show people that, you know, you're, you're like amazing. And by the way, Brad Bird, he, he was questioned about this on whether he was uh, like shilling for Ayn Rand, you know, like objectivism and Atlas Shrugged and whatnot. And he was like, no, you know, people might see that in this, but I'm not doing that. I'm more of a centrist is what he said. So, you know, take that for whatever it is. I, I, I for one, am not on the political spectrum. I, I, I'm at a 0.0 level on politics. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Um, but overall, the movie is, is really strong. There's a lot of callbacks. There's a lot of foreshadowing. Everything kind of fits into its place. And it's, it's super well done. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to this, this next one. I don't know if it's going to get up to a 9 for me, but maybe like an 8.8. .8. So real close. Just, you know, right there. Uh, and I think we are going to watch the next one during our date night for the anniversary with the kiddos. Yeah, baby. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our episode of The Last Nighters on The Incredibles. If you haven't seen The Incredibles, go see it and then go see the second one. Uh, it should be a good time. So you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 24. And I want to wish you guys a good Father's Day. This is a bit of a, you know, father redemption type story. You know, he realizes his family is like way more important and you should pay more attention to them and i think that's a good message and so happy father's day to all the fathers out there here here you too daniel you're a father oh well thank you yes yes i am 
And I wanted to throw one more thing out. Um, we did get some feedback on our most recent episode. Somebody wrote on our YouTube channel uh, on the Planet of the Apes episode that they took uh, our critique of Charlton Heston's acting as not being the best actor ever. Uh, he took it a little hard, and he, he listed a bunch of Heston's accomplishments, said he's a Juilliard-trained Shakespearean. Uh, he's very versatile, and he's been in all these roles, and and all of these things. So he was really defending Chuck. And I found that kind of, um, it, it was welcome, you know, but I don't think we were too hard on him. We were saying we, he was the boss, you know, he was a badass dude. Um, it's just, I think a different era, right? Like acting was a bit more over the top in the sixties and seventies, I think than it is now. And I think part of that is, is because there's this difference between being a stage actor and a film or TV actor, right? Because on a stage, you have to be more bellicose, whereas in film, you can be more minute. Like, it's tiny little differences that get picked up on camera. So you can be far more subtle. And I think that he was in between that. Absolutely. I was going to make the same point that Heston is a classically trained stage actor. And those people, you you have to be over the top and you really need to project your voice out in order to, you know, for the people in the back row to hear you. Whereas if you got a camera right in your face and the microphone right above your head, you can, you know, they'll pick up every single little movement, every little twitch. So yeah, there's, there's a big difference. And he's definitely of the old school that um, is really kind of dying out. I mean, you, you see actors today that go to the stage, but the, you know, they'll, they'll have a fairly diverse background, but the stage for the most part is kind of a dying thing. Um, you know, I don't know if, I mean, it, things like Hamilton and whatnot still do amazing numbers and, but it's not necessarily, and it's a really great breeding ground, I would say for larger things, but you can't say that plays make more money than, than movies. I mean, that would just be silly. Movies have a much wider, wider reach. Not everybody can afford a $200 ticket to go see Hamilton, even if you would want to see that thing. <laughs> Hated it. I haven't seen it, but I, I do not want to. <laughs> Hamilton is evil. But but yeah, to to our audience member who uh, gave us that comment, yeah, we're, we're not hating on Chuck. We like him. We think he's great. We just think he's trained a little bit differently. And if you want to see the exact opposite, where subtlety is on full display, check out our first episode of Last Nighters, lastnighters.com slash dash or slash one, our episode on Get Out. So subtle. Oh, yeah. So many like intimate Jeez. scenes where totally, you know, the story is conveyed completely with very little dialogue. Definitely. But thanks for listening, everybody. It's been a fun episode. Check us out next week with Jurassic Park, and that'll do it for me. I'll chime in and say yes. Thank you guys very much. Happy Father's Day and good night from last night. <laughs>